Just today, a few minutes, uh, marching along. Isaiah 6, um, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two feathers flew, flew he. Flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshing stirrups at their voice of him who called and the house filled with smoke. Then he said, Woe is me for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people of uncleanness, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then we're going to read Psalm 33, verses 1 through 3. Shout for joy in the Lord, O ye righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody with, to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Father, thank you for this word that we continue to explore and to discuss and consider the truths of your word. Thank you for simply asking for that truth as we consider, Lord, this is a a day of exalting the Lord, rejoicing, celebrating, praising Jesus Christ and his glory and all that it means um, and um, all its implications for our lives. We want to be a people of joy, we want to be a people of praise. We want to be a people who shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. And so, Lord, we we come because we have just seen Jesus Christ today to behold him, to magnify his grace, and to, Lord, to be all that you've called us to be. Lord, we we know we, we have not arrived yet. We know there's much distance. But we know that you're working in us, and you are accomplishing the work that you began in us, and you will complete it until the day of Christ. And so we are encouraged by the faithful work of God in our lives. Lord, bringing us to that wonderful climax at the end of history, Lord, the end of our lives, that, Lord, and, and you are doing a great work. And so we, so we, we, we are, Lord, we want to be involved. We want to be, we want to, Lord, uh, we don't want to resist your work. We don't want to be a hindrance. We, we want to just flow with the work of God in our lives. And so we, we ask you today to help us, Lord, to just continue to surrender our will, to surrender ourselves, so that your work may be perfected more and more in our lives, and, and you may receive all the glory and the honor. So thank you this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been looking at this um, from, from what Isaiah experienced in the presence of God, and saw these seraphim just really rejoicing with God, and they, and they, they called them. They called to one another, and that triggered something in Isaiah. As they called to one another, they were worshiping God, and they they, they were just um, just abounding and declaring. And they, these these seraphim saw something that um, that we we oftentimes fail to see. You know, you know, I didn't I didn't I didn't touch on this so much because only so much I could go before. You know, I, you know, you know, we'd be here forever. But but you think about it. They, they called to one another and said, "The whole earth is full of his glory." And I'm like, "What? That's not true, <laughs> right? Isn't that, isn't that our first? It's like, no, not 
yet. Maybe one day the whole earth is full of his glory. Are you kidding me? I don't, do you see full of his glory? I don't, say amen if you see full of his glory. Oh, no, I don't see it. But the seraphim saw it. The seraphim didn't say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth will one day be full of his glory. They didn't say that. They said, is presently, at the present moment, the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, where do you only see that? How can you see that? You see that when you go into the sanctuary, <laughs> right? Remember the psalmist, Psalm 73? Until I went into the sanctuary, and trust me, that the seraphims are in the sanctuary of sanctuaries. Amen? And when we come into the sanctuary where God's presence is, it's amazing how he changes our perspective. Right? It's amazing how, and we have, we have believe me, beginning with me, I'll be the first to say, I get so upset the things I hear what's happening. Because I, I could lose my communion with God. <laughs> I mean, you can't say that. I, you know, it's like I told a person the other day, I, I, I don't trust myself with a dad. <laughs> I, mean, I just don't trust myself, you know. You know, but, but it's like you, you hear so much stuff that you're like, God, this is horrible, you know. So we can get caught up in all the news cycles. We can get caught up in what we're seeing. And the last thing we see is the glory of God, and it's, it's, that the whole earth is full of the glory of God, right? But it is. The whole earth is full of his glory. Amen. By the sound of your amen, you know. But I don't know about you. I mean, that's hard. It's hard stuff. I, I, don't, I can't point to it. Other than creation. Oh, yeah, heavens declare the glory of God. I don't think, I don't think that that's the only thing that the angels saw. They're seeing God's glory in ways that you and I could not see it. And so they're, they're and that's why, that's why they're, they're glorifying God, not only because of what they see in the Lord himself as but they're also recognizing that he's a great king because of what they see on the earth. They've seen that the whole earth is full of his glory. So it's not just the portrait of a majestic king sitting on his throne. It's the majestic king sitting on his throne and the evidence of his glory consuming the earth. And so they said, this is magnificent. Like it's not just contained to the throne, but his glory is everywhere. And so, so, so this idea that when we come into the presence of God, it transforms our perspective. It transforms what we see. And we got to keep coming into the, into the presence of God because, especially now, with all these news cycles, and you can get caught up. And I, and I get caught up sometimes. I say, I, I got to stop. Because I could get so wrapped up in what other people are saying that I lose sight. I lose sight of, like, he is on a throne and the whole earth is full of his glory. So Isaiah got caught up. They're calling one to another. Amen. And um, so you see the, ser- the serpent modeled the kinds of conversational speech that God always intended from his creation. And we see, we see that even in the New Testament, Ephesians 5, 17 and 19, we are here called. We're called here as believers. We're called as believers, right, to be obedient. That these are commands that the Lord works in our lives. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, 
but be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So although we're addressing one another, right, we're addressing one but that, you know, but, th- but there, there's also that singing to the Lord. We're singing to the Lord, but addressing one another in that wonderful, like, Trinitarian communion between you, me, and God, right? Right? Just this wonderful, I'm, 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 we're speaking to one another, we're declaring the glories of God, and yet it's all, it's all for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so the, the, the Bible really encourages us to walk in, to walk in that. And then last week, we saw, we saw this illustration out of the book of Revelation, um, Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, and just how a little bit of this culture of exaltation in, the, in, in heaven uh, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels. And so John sees and he, he hears the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands. And they, the, these voices of many angels were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And, the, and so all these angels are magnifying God. And when they, and when they finish, you know, and then suddenly there's another, another group of people. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. So you have the m- angels, they speak the glories of God. And that triggers all of creation, all everyone in creation on earth and heaven, under the earth. And, and they're saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, to the be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And then that triggers to the four living creatures, right? The four living creatures said, amen. You know, and so you have this wonderful symphony of exaltation happening in all of heaven. That's what the Lord wants for us today, to learn to walk in that, to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And yet today, I wanna, I'd like to consider, what are some hindrances? Why don't, we, why don't we walk in a life of conversational exaltation? Why is this rare? Why is this uncomfortable? Why, why we see this symphony in heaven, and yet we look at our lives, we look at many churches, and it's just like it doesn't resemble that. You know, wh- why is it that the, 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 the culture of heaven seems to be very different from the culture of the church, especially here in the West? And so we have to ask these questions. What is it that hinders us from, from conversational exaltation to really delight in God? There are a lot of things that hinder. Um, there is one that I want to deal with today, at least begin to deal with today. Um, but, I, but the Lord put in my heart, really was not planning on, on speaking on this at all, but the Lord really put this in my heart. You know, that, um, that there, there are hindrances to a life of conversational exaltation where we can really delight in God one to another. There are things, you know, what are, what are the conditions that might be present in something we do? This doesn't work that way. It, it, it's mechanical. We can't just tell people to do this. It's, it has to flow out of a life in the spirit. It has to be something that's genuine, um, something that's spring. No one told the servants to do this. There was nobody standing in heaven with a side, you know, clap now, applause. <laughs> you know, the, the, the angels just responded to what they saw, the glory of Jesus Christ. And so, so what is one thing that, that, can, that can really um, hinder us? And this is something the Lord put in my heart, and I just want to encourage us all. Let's go to Psalm 33, Psalm 33, verses 1 through 3 again. Here we have in Psalm 13, shout for joy in the Lord. 
There's an invitation to shout. There's an invitation to declare the praises of God. There's an invitation to exalt and to glorify. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. You see that idea of make melody that we see in Ephesians. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Loud shouts. So here we have in Psalm 33, I believe something that um, helps it can help us to understand um, some of the conditions for a life of exalting in the Lord, a life of joy, a life of just exuberating in God. How do you get that kind of life? How do you walk in the joy of the Lord? How do you, you know, amen, that we could be a people just bubbling with joy, bubbling with delight in Christ, and that the world can see this, this guy is just joyful. I have, a, I have a man, you know, some of you might know, Dave Brandon, and that's, you know, often tell people, I've never seen this man um, upset. And anyway, he's just been so, he's just so filled with joy, you know, and it's just like, just a, a loving man filled with joy, and I said, God, make me like that when I get older, you know, never complaining, you know, just, just smiling through it all. And his wife passed away, and he's just, you know, he's just smiling, oh, 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 you know, I went, I went to the funeral with him, and, and it's like just laughing about things, it's like, just joyful, I'm like, you know, and so it's just it's wonderful to see that, and it's like, you know, how can we be, how can we pursue this kind of life, and so, and the Lord really put this in my heart, you know, the command to shout for joy in Psalm 33, verse 1, is not directed indiscriminately. It's not directed indiscriminately to all people. It is specifically directed to OU Baptist Church. So keep, keep, you know, underline that. Shout for joy in the Lord. You know, um, it doesn't say, um, oh, his people. You know, oh, redeemed ones. Oh, house of Israel. No, it's specifically directed to OU Baptist Church. Lord really put this in my heart that, you know, that that there's the joy of the Lord and righteousness, being righteous, righteous ones. You know, and so just I want want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. If you want, how many would like to see the joy of the Lord increase in your life? Say amen, right? I'm like, amen. I want to see joy, and I praise God that he cares for my joy increase. You know, it's just like, just that the Lord just did it. He just, my joy increased in the Lord. And I'm, and I'm just happy. I'm just really more relaxed. I'm just, um, you know, I'm just not, I'm, I'm complaining less. But I want more of that. The fact that I've actually been able to consciously be aware that my joy has increased has only created a greater appetite to desire for more joy. That I could be more joyful, that I could be, that I will not get, allow myself to have any periods of downtime, right? Any periods of discouragement. I want to be joyful all the time. I want to rejoice the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. So I want to rejoice the Lord. I want to grow in joy. I, I find that joy gives us strength. There's something about the joy of the Lord that, that, that just, man, we, we're missing out the joy of the Lord. We have, don't have strength. When you don't have the joy of the Lord, you have very little spiritual strength. And when you have the joy of the Lord, it's amazing how there's a strength. So I, I want, I'm, like I said last week, I'm, I'm going after the joy of the Lord in our lives. In the Bible, the righteous enjoy a special favor of God. I want you, I want, I want you to see the righteous, perhaps in a new light, or maybe it's just for some of you, it's just a reminder. 
just a reminder of what he's come to mean. But the, the righteous are a, a special kind of group of people in the Bible that, that, that really enjoy a special favor from God. L- listen to some of this. Look at, look at Psalm 512. Psalm 5. I'm just going to read a couple of different places so you can see. Psalm 12. For you bless the righteous. Amen. So it looks like the Lord is blessing each specific direction of the righteous. Oh, Lord, for you cover him with favor as with a shield. Look at this one. And you might think this is a bad one, but it's actually not a bad one. Psalm 11, 5. Psalm 11, 5. Look at, look, look at the Lord. The Lord what? He tests the righteous. The Lord doesn't test nobody else. Excuse me, now. He, the Lord doesn't test the wicked. He tests the righteous. That, that, that speaks of a special relationship. Right? That speaks of something that just more than just the ordinary. He tests the righteous. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Look, look at Psalm 34, 15. These are really these promises. The eyes of the Lord are toward whom? The righteous. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. So eyes, that means that he sees you. That means he sees your condition. He sees you. He's aware of you. So why is he testing the righteous? And his ears are for their cry. So when they, they cry, his ears are like, whoop. There, there is divine attention given to the righteous that they enjoy. And this is all throughout the Psalms. I mean, I'm only just picking a handful. I mean, yes, that was a lot. There were so many promises concerning the righteous. So many promises concerning the righteous. Look at Psalm 34, 19. 34, Psalm 34, 19. Now, here's another one, right? <laughs> many are the what? Afflictions of the whom? <laughs> right? So, so the righteous suffer. Suffering is demonic. There's just something about um, suffering that really is, you know, people have often wondered, what is the mark? What, what is the, the mark? Uh, people have wondered throughout the history, what is the mark of, of God's elect? It's not really the suffering, it's the complications of the suffering. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Uh, people, um, there's, you know, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So they're suffering, but there is this wonderful deliverance um, of the righteous. Um, look, look at Psalm 37, 29. Guess who's going to inherit the land? Who will, who will inherit the land? The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. You know, there's this, you know, the, you know, this, this righteous Lord, who, who are these, right? And of course, all of this righteous, right, the climax is in Jesus Christ, no doubt. All of these, really, all of this is just beautifully summed up in Jesus Christ. But in Christ now, there's, there's something, there's an expression of this in Christ that I, I, I do believe it finds its fulfillment. Look at Psalm 37, 39, Psalm 37, 39. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord, and he is their stronghold in the time of trouble. So the righteous enjoy a certain stronghold in a particular time of trouble. You experience something of God's provision in a time of trouble. Um, the righteous do. Um, 
Here's Psalm 68, 3. And again, I'm just, just you know, just sampling. But the righteous shall be glad. There is a promise of tremendous gladness and exaltation before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. There's, there's this beautiful um, promise that is given to the righteous, right? It's not everybody. It is righteous. They shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. So it appears that the promise of God particularly directed at the righteous. Now you can see that. Well, but so many people claim these promises without really understanding what does it mean to be righteous. And I'm hoping that today you can get, you can, you can begin to um, like this. What, what does it mean to be righteous? What, what does it biblically mean? So who are these people? Why does the, who, what does the author have in mind when you say, oh, you righteous? We'll start this week with this. Now, the biblical concept, the Hebrew, right, concept of righteous is different from what we may typically understand in the Bible. We have, we have a view, of, uh, I believe, in the West that's a little bit, um, a little bit just, you know, unfortunate because it's just been imported from that perspective. So, in the West, in the West, primarily, we see righteousness as a passive thing. Um, and that comes from, uh, that, let's go to Romans 5.19. And that comes, unfortunately, because in this respect, English is actually better than the Greek language. This respect. But, you know, but in the Greek, unfortunately, there, there's, there's only one word that is, or, or that's, that's used to describe, to describe all of these different um, distinct um, works of God. And so, for as by one man's disobedience we were made sinners, so as by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. So, so from there, um, uh, clearly you can see the passive form of the verb. Will be made right. When that is passive, when it, there is not, it's not an active verb. It's a passive verb. Uh, you know, what do we mean by a passive? It means that, that basically that the subject is acting on it, right? So, it, it, you know, the many are not doing anything, right, to be made righteous, right? The many, right, in this case, the many is being acted upon, um, being made righteous um, by another man's obedience. So, so you don't add to that. Totally, you are totally passive. You do not add to that righteousness. It is utterly passive. You will be made righteous by, by another man's disobedience. So in this case, the many are not contributing anything to the process of being made righteous. The obedience of Christ makes many righteous. Period. So the problem is, is that, you know, so righteousness from this perspective is a totally passive thing. There's nothing you need to do. And there's a sense where that is absolutely true. But I think the English helps us, gives us another word that I think makes, helps us to make a distinction, which I think brings us in line better with this whole counsel of God in the Bible. 
Right? So the, the problem is that then righteousness from this point of view, when whenever, wherever we read righteousness, the Bible, oh, we think passively. I'm, I'm, I am righteous because I put my faith in Christ. And yet the Bible doesn't really put that, right? The Bible doesn't, there's a distinction that, that I think is lost. Righteousness be, um, is something that we become by virtue of faith in Christ's finished work, right? And, and verses like, like this can leave that impression. I mean, look at Romans 4, 5, and 6. And again, these, I could go more into that, but, but you can see where it's easy to see this. And to the one who does not work, see that? Passive. You don't do anything. But believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. So there's this, again, this, this reality that the, there's a work of Christ that we are utterly passive, completely, completely passive. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So, yeah, so we have, um, so, the, so, so then that develops more and more a view that righteousness, just strictly speaking, is a passive thing. There's nothing you can do. So all of these promises that we read apply to you. Apply to those who put their faith in Christ. Period. That's it. But that's not exactly right. Right, there's something that there's a distinction that the Bible does make, and it brings it out in in the Greek with with, with different forms it uses, with what God, what Paul is uh, trying to communicate. Um, so uh, about what Christ has accomplished for us. Right. So so part of the problem. So how do, part of the problem is that we confuse justification with righteousness. And in every time that Paul uses the passive form of the verb, because there's only one, unfortunately, we have the advantage in English. We can have, we have two words, justification and righteousness. We have two words. Praise God. Unfortunately, in Greek, they, so all that they can do is use the passive form of the verb and the active form of the verb. And the passive and active form can then relate to two aspects of Christ's work. So, so we have um, two ideas, I believe, that we begin to, we, justification and righteousness begin to be, we conflate them, we combine them, and we fail to maintain a distinction between justification and righteousness. So let's look at justification. And I think um, Galatians is very helpful to, to bring out, bring out the distinction. Which I think is very helpful. We know that a person is not what? Justified by works. Now, I love what the ESV translators did, right? That's what the ESV translated. There is no word for justification in the Greek. <laughs> but what they said, what, but what, what they rightly did was that they saw the passive form of the word dikaio, and they said, oh, yes, this is referring to that fundamental work of Jesus Christ where you and I cannot contribute anything to that. You're not, God is acting upon you powerfully by his mercy. And so the, the ESV writers, I, I commend them for that. They begin to leverage the word justification. Know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Through faith in Jesus Christ 
but through faith in Jesus Christ. Also, we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified. Again, there's no word for that in the English, but he's called, it is in the passive form, in order to be justified by faith. And here we have, I think, the distinction that could become better. Galatians 2.16, I think, presents a better distinction. Not that the other ones are bad. The other ones are fine, too. But I think this is, this is better. They're going to un- bring about this idea that God accomplished something in Jesus Christ that is completely apart from our works. And it's fun- fundamental, and uh, it's called this idea of being, being made right with God. You're made right by God, strictly speaking, by the work of Jesus Christ and your faith in that work. Amen. That's it. That's it. Made right with God. Apart from works, apart from anything that you can do, you have been made right by God. And that's why, that's why it's a passive verb. You, you're being acted upon by the mercy of God. You're being acted upon strictly by his kindness, what we call justified. Amen. But the important thing is that the ESV translators understand that Paul is speaking about justification, not the work of righteousness. Work of righteousness, something else that we get from Christ, it is distinct from justification. It's really distinct, something that we have to, you know, make a distinction that I think is very, very useful. Justification refers to what Christ did to make us right. Amen? And this work is totally passive from our point of view. Right? Now, you know, it's, it's not passive Christ-centered. Right? It's Christ's active obedience, active sacrifice that is going to act upon us and make us right with God. So it's not passive from Christ's point of view. Uh, it's not passive from Christ's point of view. It's passive from our point of view. We contribute nothing. We are made right in Christ apart from doing right. Amen? That again, we are made right in Christ apart from anything, any obedience to the law, any obedience to Christ. Amen? Any obedience. No, forget it. He comes upon you. He makes you right. Amen? He doesn't negotiate with you. Can you sign on this agreement? No, nothing. He comes upon us, and he makes us right. Amen? And that's the foundation of the gospel. He makes us right. Our union with Jesus Christ is the sole ground of our complete and perfect and immovable justification before God. Completely right before God. Amen? 1 Corinthians 1.30, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So we can sing that song, On Christ the solid rock I stand. Amen? All other ground is sinking sand. But justification is strictly God's work. He made you right. You are right because of Jesus Christ. So that is the work of justification. Then you have the work of righteousness. Work of righteousness. Of course, in this church, we want to make a distinction, right? We want to make a work distinction. We don't separate them because all of them flow from Jesus Christ. He makes us right. But then righteousness has to do with, let me go to Matthew 6 1. Matthew 6 1. It, it just brings us, you know, brings us, Matthew 6 1. Beware of what?
practicing. What do you mean practicing in righteousness? What do you mean practicing? I thought this was a passive. So there's nothing you have to do. Well, not for justification. There's something you have to do. Something righteous. Jesus said, beware of What is going on here is that you know, righteousness is so. So the idea of righteousness is not passive. It's not passive. It's active. It's something very active that flows out of our justification in Jesus Christ. So we did. We, so we, we we rest. We stand strong on the foundation of His justification. But we don't stop there. We don't just land there and say, "Okay, good. I'll make my sentence." <laughs> no, there, there's something that that ground of justification is going to sprout. That ground of justification is going to give fruit. It's going to give something that will bring glory to God. It's not just a piece of ground standing there idle. <laughs> but that ground is going to be cultivated. That ground, the Holy Spirit is going to do something, right? And so out of that ground will flow, will come forth righteousness. Amen? Will come forth righteousness. And we just need to make that distinction of what it is. And, and this and this. This passage in Matthew 61, we begin to see, number one, um, that righteousness involves three things. Three, three things, right? At minimum, right? So it's, it's three things that you can, you, can, you can start to frame an idea of this idea of righteousness. And don't confuse righteousness with justification. Righteousness does not get you into heaven. <laughs> Just like justification does. Right? This idea of righteousness is going to be the fruits and the things that God does in your life, right? You know, you know, he's not saying, you know, that you have to do these things and then otherwise. No, 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 no. Justification is our ticket. We've, we're of the spirit. We've been born and that's it. But then there's these fruits. There are these things that God wants to do in our lives that we just in the West don't take as serious. In the West, we tend to settle on the ground of justification. And what I find, much, a lot of ground coming in and out of church with no trees, no grass, no house, no nothing. Just a piece of land walking in, a piece of land coming out. And sometimes you just see weeds. <laughs> it's like, hey, the, the, the God wants to put something in that ground to sprout forth. Amen? It's not, you know, so we, 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 we do a great job of standing. I, I hope we do a great job. I'm not so sure we do a great job of that. But so we can stand on the ground of his justification. We have been accepted. To God, and it's final. We don't question it no more, right? I think some people need to go back to that ground even before we start practicing righteousness. Maybe really reinforce the idea that there's nothing you can add to the work of God in bringing you and making you right before God. We allow the devil to lie to us and we question our relationship. No, don't ever question it. Don't ever question it. You will go up and down, fail and flop, but your relationship with Jesus Christ does not change. Amen? And so, so that's the ground that we stand on. But then we have this idea of the work of righteousness. Amen? First of all, in Matthew 6, 1, righteousness is something that you do. You know? Beware of practice. Now, the word practice, beware. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what the ESV has, practice. It's not a bad word. But the word just simply means to do to carry out or perform an action or deed. So beware of doing something, carrying out or doing something. Uh, 
But I like practice, though. I really do like practice. I, I like everything that is there. But, you know, it's, it's this idea of just doing. Po'el. You do. Beware of doing your righteousness. You don't ever do justification. Jesus never says, beware of doing justification. No, that's impossible. You can't do it. Christ does it. But once Christ has justified you, God is at work both in you to do what? To do, right, and to will his good pleasure. So then there's a doing by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God that comes in, and, and it's a factor, something to reckon in your whole life. It's the power of God in us. So he, Jesus can say with confidence, Beware of doing your righteousness. Don't do it this way. Don't do it that way. And it's the same word that um, in Luke 6.31 when Jesus said, And as you wish that others would do to you, do to them, right? Just doing, doing, doing the things that God wants. God is calling his church to do the things he's called us. Amen? It's an action verb. John picks this up at the end of his life. In First John 3, 7, and John says, little children, let no one deceive you. Why, why, why would he say something like that? Deception? Because I think, let's be honest, you know, we're, we're, we're confused about these issues sometimes. We're not so sure. And John says, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is what? What is he? You know, whoever pra- he doesn't say whoever is justified. Right? He's not he's not bringing into question any of that. He's just he, he, he's just he's just seeing righteousness in a unique light. Righteousness is this person who is standing on the grounds of justification, who has been born of the Spirit of God, and God has been able to work something where there that life that that justification is bearing fruit in their lives as they serve God sacrificially and lovingly. He, he's making a distinction for that. But I think he also needs to make a distinction. Whoever does righteousness is righteous. Right? He is righteous. So the first thing is that, but we learn from Matthew 6, 1, is that righteous is something that we do. Secondly, what, what else do we, we learn about um, um, righteousness? Righteousness is something that is visible. Visible. Beware practicing, doing your righteousness before other, in order to be seen. So it's, there's a visible component to our actions. There's something that God is calling us to, to really be involved in this great work of righteousness. And it's the spirit of God. It's not us. Right? You, you, there are many good words out there. Dead words. Right? I mean, dead words. Dead works. Dead anything else. But we're talking about that which flows out of the grounds of justification. That which flows out of the grace of God. And I'm telling you, that tree that, it, that grows on the grounds of justification, do you think it's a cactus? <laughs> what do you think? A, 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 a tree with two branches? You know? <laughs> or do you think it's a forest? Yeah, a beautiful, wow! You ever, you ever seen like a ground that is just beautiful ground? And whenever that... It's, it, it's like a, in, in Psalms 1, like the tree planted by the rivers of water, and it bears fruit, right? It's like the, when, when, you, when you're planted on the ground of justification, that tree is beautiful. It's glorious. It bears much fruit. Amen? 
This idea that we come in that, oh, I'm standing on the ground of justification, and, and we bring a tactic. No, no, it's a beautiful tree with colorful flowers, right? Amen. Give God a little bit more credit for the work of Christ. Amen. You know, let's give give Jesus that his work is beautiful. Amen. That that the work that he does in us, it's not like this little thing. Oh, right. You ever see people like, and you don't want to say, oh, that's really nice. That's really interesting. You know, that's my code word, by the way. But my code word for like, kind of whack, but I don't want to hurt the feeling. It's, it's interesting. Oh, oh, that's very interesting. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We, we, we don't, but, but let's give God credit that the ground of justification is a fruit that is it bears much fruit. Part of the problem is not so much that we're not standing on that ground as much as we're embracing what Christ has done in our lives. And we allow the devil to deceive us. We allow the devil to tell us otherwise. Right? It's not the fact, it's not the fact that the ground is missing. For many of us is that we have the ground, it's just we keep li- we keep believing the lies of Satan. And, and our fruit is stagnant. But here's the other thing about righteousness. It's something that you do as opposed to justification. Justification is something that you do not do. That's God's work. That's solely God's work. Righteous is something that you do through the power of the Spirit of God. It's not just you. It's like you do it. You're working together. You're co-laboring with Christ. Amen? He's, so he's got you involved. Isn't that wonderful that he, he, he called you? Hey, come on. We'll, let's work together. Amen? What a privilege, right? Um, but it's something visible. You can see it. It's not secret. It's not in a closet. You can see the work of God, right? And thirdly, when it comes to righteousness and promises, and this is all the justification. We just well, we just were reading some of the scriptures. Righteousness is something that is rewarded by God. We don't like that word, reward. I don't like it. I'll be honest. I, yeah, but I'm learning to enjoy. I'm, I'm learning to you know. I'm learning to embrace it. That there's reward. There is reward to the righteous. There is a reward. He said, beware of practicing righteousness for other people in order to be seen for them, for then you will have no reward. The idea that reward, God is going to reward us. You know, I mean, why do we, we have that? We, we're uncomfortable with that idea because we just feel like, no, I'm, I'm undeserving. I'm, I'm humble. Uh, no, I don't want nothing. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's this false humility. No, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a chump. I'm just a slob. You know, I'm just a, a sinner helping other sinners. Yeah. And, you know, but, but the reality is, let's, let's, let's embrace God's humility and say, no, it will be rewarded. In fact, I remember reading this years ago, I'm like, you can't say that without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For they that come to God must believe that he is. Amen? You can, you can enjoy that. No. No. No, 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 no. We just cook a half steak. We just cook out of the oven half cooked steak. You must believe that he is and, can somebody finish it? He's a rewarder of those 
Cheryl? Let me give you peace. The reward, he's a rewarder. In other words, you could boast all about your faith, but if you don't embrace that he rewards you, your faith is half cooked and it's not faith at all. Because that don't say God. Faith is both. God is, and he's a rewarder. We don't like the reward part for whatever reason. I mean, we do like it. Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> we love it. We just don't like the stressor. <laughs> like, let's be honest. We're like, fuck the hypocrites. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm humble. But on the inside, like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> right? We're like, you know, we just we love reward. Who doesn't like a reward? Come on. Who doesn't like a reward? Everybody likes to be rewarded. It's just the way God made us. Here, enter into the joy of the Lord. You made five cities, I'll get a double. Right? All of us love to be rewarded. But what is it that keeps us from accepting God's going to reward us? All of us, I struggle with it, you struggle with it, I know we all struggle with it. I don't know why, I don't understand why. Honestly, I don't understand why. I think it's a form of humility that we've defined, that we think that if we want the reward, we're doing it for the reward, not for the glory of God. You know, you know we want it for the glory of God. But the glory of God is our reward. Like, at the end of the day, it's still our reward, right? Right? At the end of the day, he, he wants to reward us, right? <coughs> God wants to reward us. And he rewards us. I'm able to speak this more freely. Dude, God has set me free over this pandemic. He has set me free. I've had to accept the Lord and his, and his communion with him and how he has me. And I understand that what I've gone through this last couple of months has been his reward. At first, it was hard for me. I'm like, God, I don't know why. But the Lord made it so clear to me. I cannot tell you how clear it is to me and how rewarded I am. I tell you this because I have to do this every day. In your prayers, when you go to the shepherd and you're so tired, please, please help me use this. It took me a while to receive that. Like, one day I just broke down because I was really sick of it. And I began to read scripture. You know, that's how long you stay reading scripture. <laughs> you have been sick of it. I did not, honestly, I did not do it. I, I was not conscious of it. I mean, I can really. The danger with me now is I'm more conscious of it now. <laughs> I can say that. Um, but I, the Lord set me free of it. I began to see, like, his grace upon my life over the last couple of months. There's no accident. It's not an accident. It's his reward. And I want to encourage you. That's why, we, you know, I'm going to stop here. We're gonna, we'll continue next week. God wants, God wants us. This work of righteousness in our midst increases because of our joy. So justification has to do with being made right. Our justification, we're made right. Righteousness has to do with doing what is right. See the difference? Being right, that's God's work. Doing right is also God's work, but you are a, a component. You are involved in that work. You are an instrument in that work. 
You are not an instrument in your justification. Sorry to tell you, you were out to lunch while Jesus was faithfully working, right? And you came home and you found the house done. <laughs> well, what happened? You did not add a nail. You did not contribute what color paint. You did nothing, right? So justification, you're totally free. You're out to lunch, and he does a wonderful work. But righteousness is God's gift to you and I to walk, to walk, amen, and to live a life of good works, to live a life of doing what is right in the eyes of God and, and to begin to be a blessing, right? God wants you to enter into that so that we might truly in a biblical sense, be righteous. Amen? Righteousness is a work that is done. You know, so that in, the, in the real sense, you know, you could, you could be made right, and that, that's true for all of us. You could be made right, justified in God, and yet you have not learned how to do what is right. You know, that's, that's possible. I, young believers struggle with that because in their mind, okay, they accepted Jesus Christ, but they made right. Right? If they've set the Christ, it's because only the evidence, it's all, the only root of that is because God made them right. Now, when you, be, when, you be, when you accept Christ and you are made right, do you start doing right right away? No way. You're still selfish. Your anger pops up in the air. Every once in a while, a curse word flies. <laughs> like, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not even nowhere near. And we talk about the little, that's the little things, right? How about selfishness? self-centeredness, like those are the deep things. It takes years sometimes to learn to do what is right. So you, in many ways, you, you, can, you can be right, and the Lord is working you to teach you how to do what is right. That takes five years, ten years. It takes a long time. That's why we tell young believers, don't ever give up. Don't measure yourself by what you do, because you're like disconnected. You're like way behind. But being in Christ, being right is the thing that is important. And Christ has done that. That is immovable, untouchable. But it might take a time before they get their act together, right? It may take time before they start to do what is right. Amen. So I think that one of the things that... um. We have greatly emphasized our justification, and that's true. That's true, and I think we should do emphasize it more than righteousness. But I believe God wants us to consider um, this idea of righteousness. One last verse, and we'll pray. James two eighteen and nineteen. James says, "You know, if someone would say you have faith, and I have works." Show me your faith apart from your works. James says, I will show you my faith. So he's not denying the foundation. He's just simply saying, I'm going to make it manifest. I'm going to show you my faith in Jesus Christ, which justifies me, of which I contributed nothing. I'm going to reveal to you, I'm going to show you that my faith is anchored in the Christ. I'm going to show you that that truly I am standing, because where is a seed, right? Right, where is a seed? He says, he says um, I will show you my, my faith, how? By my works. So the works, this, these righteous works, begin to reveal, give evidence, right, 
They're not the cause of your justification, God forbid, but they give evidence to the, the, what you profess to be true in your life because he goes on to say, you believe that God is one, verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do what? Because you think, as I mentioned to you, you think it's feeling. In fact, there's a work that follows from their faith. And what is the work in the, in the life of the demon? What do they do? Is that something visible? <laughs> yeah. He said, even the, but they shudder. So if you were to see them, they're like trembling. In other words, even the demon's faith can't be hidden. Amen? They have to show some manifestation <laughs> that they believe that God is one. And their manifestation is what? They, they, they shudder. <laughs> so even if the demons have the manifestation of what they believe, should we not have evidence? Some evidence? That's what, that's what James is saying. I will show you my faith by my works. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these few minutes that you've allowed us to come into your presence to just begin to consider all the righteousness I'm praying that you would just really move Lord upon each and every one of our hearts may the the plenty of the Lord God, even as we have embraced our justification in Jesus Christ, may we now also embrace the work of God in us to do what is right, to live a life for God, doing what is right. During this week, we look at what is, what is, what is doing right, what does that even mean? I pray that now by your spirit, you would have you would just encourage us, Lord, to, Lord, to really practice our righteousness. Not to be seen by others. But Lord, you're putting us, God, in this world of great darkness where, where it says because of lawlessness, Lord, the hearts of many will grow cold. I pray that you would enable us, Lord, to, to walk, to be a light in the midst of this darkness. So we thank you, Lord, for the few minutes you've allowed us to just come and just expose your word. And I pray that you would impress them upon every heart, that you would be glorified and that we would be a people who give evidence of our faith in Jesus Christ, the unshakable faith, the works you've done in us. For those who are struggling, maybe they're, they're Lord, they, they, they have put their faith as evidence, God, that that you have done a work in them. I pray that you would encourage them never to give up, but that they would just know that you are doing a work in them, both to will and to do. It first comes that willing, but that will, in, inward work, and then doing it bodily, conforms our will to yours. And so bless your people, God, as we go home. Strengthen us as we face Help us to, Lord, be encouraged and to really uh, just 
know that you are rewarded in that image that you see, that we would seek out each other throughout the week, seek out other families, other youth, that we would be a people that are willing, Lord, to continue to walk in the things you've called us to walk in. Keep us from harm, keep us from anything. Help us to settle our hearts, God, in, in the in that you are in control of our world. We don't know what this week will bring in Russia, Ukraine, and the devastation of that war that is taking place. And we just pray protection. We pray for our leaders. We pray for the, the church in Ukraine. We pray that, God, you would just uh, bring peace, bring, Lord, bring life, bring health, bring, Lord, courage, bring hope, God, uh, to those who are affected by the war. And so, Lord, we, we, we do remember them today. And so thank you today, Father, for all that you're doing in Jesus Christ's name. And the whole church said, amen. Lord bless. Why don't you just um, go home, rest in the Lord, and don't forget that um, we are continuing uh, tonight at Good Shepherd. So God bless you. Six o'clock.